for everything indie. For everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into a bonus edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast with George Bremer. I am Ryan Hickey. Well, I guess not really a bonus, maybe an earlier than usual pod on this Monday night or, or Tuesday morning here as the Colts preseason George has finally wrapped up the third and final preseason game against the Buccaneers in the books. Normally in training camp leading into the season, we record and we release the pods on Wednesday, Friday. But with cut day on Tuesday, I figured let's get a quick you know, assessment from the game and kind of discuss a few players on the bubble before those cuts are actually made. So hence the bonus in sense of earlier than usual this week pod. George, this was, at least I thought, um, one of the most important preseason games the Colts have played in a long time. They played their starters for about a quarter and a half per se against the Buccaneers team who started with their starters uh, on offense and defense in the first series, at least. It was a nice test for the Colts to see where they're at offensively, defensively, heading into a season where they have to get off to a good start. We had some keys, whether it's the you know run defense, whether it's special teams, especially Matt Ryan, a few of the receivers. A lot of questions we were kind of, or we had going into the preseason finale. Coming out now, what was kind of your biggest takeaway from Saturday's win over the Buccaneers? Yeah, you know, I think it was a little bit of a disappointing game in, in a sense that I think going in, I thought the starters might play a full half. I thought maybe we'd see more of the Bucks starters longer and, and you get a better sample size of, of what we saw. So, you know, ultimately I don't think we learned quite as much as, as maybe we hoped we would going in. Um, I think the defense showed again, you know, they're, they're going to be tough in the red zone. I think that's what we know. Uh, it was interesting to me that that first drive looked almost identical to the first two games. The Bucks kind of came out, went down the field, and then the defense stiffened inside the 20 and forced the field goal. I mean, each of them have had their own unique characteristics. I think there wasn't as many big plays on this Tampa drive, for instance. Uh, and I'm not going to get into preseason officiating, but I do think that was a questionable <laughs> interference call on, on Gilmore that kind of helped keep it alive early. Uh, but I think that's going to, you know, I think the defense has is, is been the same all three uh, weeks, which is weird because it was twice the first team and once the second team. And, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. But I think we we said last week we want to see them be strong in the red zone this year. It's a real key for this defense. And they were uh, the other thing that I kind of looked at it. It's hard to really put a like a finger on how big of a concern it is. But obviously the offensive line coming off a down year didn't bathe itself in glory on Saturday. Uh, you know, the tough thing there is Ryan Kelly wasn't playing and the line is so much about five guys playing as one, that chemistry between that group. I don't know that we've seen the first team lie line together this preseason. It might've happened uh, in Buffalo, but that was really brief. If so, um, you know, it's, it, there, it's a question mark for me. How's that line going to bounce back? We know there's two new starters. You kind of feel good about Kelly Smith and Nelson, but Matt Pryor at left tackle, Danny Pinner at right guard. How's that going to work? And then, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have a real solid answer about that until they get to Houston. You're right. And going back to the defense, right, this is a theme now for three straight uh, preseason openers or three straight, you know, opening drives in the preseason games. We've seen the opposing offense, whether, like I said, whether it's a first string offense or second string, uh, first string defense or second string defense, allow a long drive, get down to the red zone, and then shut the door. Look, we'll, t I mean, I'll take that. Right. Like, I mean, especially now with the way the rules are and just how good quarterback play is, 
you are going to see a lot of offenses churn up yards. And we kind of highlight this from the Colts' perspective of one of the areas they can really improve in with Matt Ryan is their efficiency in the red zone and scoring touchdowns. And if you have a defense that is bend but don't break, kind of a, almost a Matt Eberflus, you know, staple, if you will, kind of have that now with, with Gus Bradley, even though the scheme is supposed to, you know, be a lot more aggressive and a lot different. If the results are the same where, sure, you'll give up chunk plays and allow the offenses for the most part to move between 20 and 20, obviously not ideal, but if you're going to consistently clamp down the red zone, I have a tough time getting upset because, again, you're going to have to score points on offense, and if you are consistently holding the other team to three and you're scoring seven, more times than not you're going to come out on the other side uh, with the victory there. So that's I'm with you. It's it definitely a concern, especially the run defense. They continue to get – um you know, churned and burned in that area, no matter what the offensive line for their team is like. And even with the Buccaneers having, you know, all these different injuries and retirements and players leaving last offseason, this offensive line this year is in shambles, frankly, going into, you know, what was supposed to be their dress rehearsal. And still Leonard Fournette had no issues and Tom Brady's moving up and down the field like he was. That is definitely, I think, a trend we'll see in the regular season for sure. But the one thing I will say, at least as a positive light, I'm with you. I thought we were, and I was hoping we were going to see more from the receivers, more from Alec Pierce, more, you know, Paris Campbell uh, influence in the offense. While they really, they, they didn't do anything in this game, in game number three, I thought one throw Matt Ryan made to, to Michael Pittman Jr. on the only touchdown drive they scored in the preseason. I thought, even though it's one throw, a very small sample size, I really thought that kind of showed the difference between Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz. And that's the accuracy. You know, accuracy in the middle field does a really tight window, a gutsy throw down there in the red zone. But those are the throws where last year, you hate to make comparisons, but that's the only thing we can do now. That's either an interception or an incompletion if Carson Wentz is throwing that ball because he's either waiting too long or we know his accuracy uh, sometimes in those tight windows are not the best and decision-making is not the best. That's where I think we will get a huge, you know, boost when you're watching this Colts offense Um become more potent in the red zone is you have Matt Ryan being able to fit those balls in her tighter windows, but also be a better decision maker, knowing when to pull the trigger and when not. I know again, it's a very small sample size. It's really one throw out of what was it three, three drives that they were on for the most part. But at least for me, I was like, all right, you know what? That's something we didn't see a lot offensively in the state. There's not a lot to really feel good about that one throw list had me feeling good. And was a nice kind of preview to what we should expect come the regular season. Absolutely. And it's a staple of the offense. I mean, that was an RPO read. It was definitely play action. I think it was an yep. RPO. Uh, and he just, you know, fired it in there kind of fearlessly. I think Pittman's going to be a huge part of this offense. We've talked about that a lot already uh, in the short life of this pod. You know, I think Michael Pittman's going to have a huge breakout year. Uh, he had three catches again in, in just a limited amount of playing time in that game. And I'm not surprised. I think every time he's been out there in practice or in an exhibition game so far, that's you know, he's the guy they're looking to. And I think that's going to continue to be uh, a major factor this year. I just think it's one of the things you can almost take to the bank. Uh, the other big takeaway for me was Matt Hawk. He came out and he did his job. Uh, four punts inside the 20. You'd like to see a little more hang time on that last one. They probably got a little better return because of it. But for a guy who had had one practice that was basically a glorified walkthrough before he came in there, uh, it didn't look rusty. It didn't look, there wasn't any concern from the special teams. And I think that's a huge, huge weight off a lot of people's shoulders when you don't know what's going to happen without Rigoberto Sanchez. Uh, no problems in the field goal game either. You know, Blankenship made all of his kicks. And it'll be, I think one thing to watch moving forward is Blankenship as the kickoff guy. You know, he's going to be that guy now. Uh, will they get as many touchbacks as they did with, with Sanchez? You know, how's that going to play into things? I thought the coverage teams early in the game when, when the quote-unquote starters were out there, Looked better. That's something you want to see. They didn't have that big break. 
Um, I think special teams was a positive. I, I, I took away a good feeling for special teams on Saturday. 100%. I thought that was the most impressive part of the game. And I think fair to say, at least for me, I, I don't know if you agree, George, that was the biggest question coming in, right? We had questions about the offense, the rush defense, but special teams, new kickoff guy in, in hot rod, like I said, new punter and Matt Hawk struggles on the coverage. It is nice to see that that was the best unit of the three the Colts had on Saturday. Like I said, Hawk looked good, four punts inside the 20. So again, when we talk about this Colts defense, Ben, but don't break. One of their best friends this season is going to be Matt Hawk pushing that, you know, the opposing offense as deep as possible. And even though it was against second stringers, that second drive you saw when they when the Buccaneers were pinned deep in their own end, all of a sudden that Colts defensive front, especially, started becoming more aggressive and made an impact right away and kind of forced the Buccaneers to surrender in that possession, just go three and out on three straight runs. That is going to be a huge, huge boost for the Colts, especially for a defense that if it's going to be, you know, getting gashed in the run game or there are going to be more bend but don't break, you're going to need really Matt Hawk then extra, you know, have extra importance on those punts, which I thought, like you said, he did a great, great job. And frankly, you know, if you want to call it this, the Colts got lucky with everything that's gone on. Um, obviously, the Buffalo Bills have handled the entire Matt Arisa situation probably the worst way you could have done it. And the Colts are the beneficiaries of it as now they get a, a very good punter. But like I said, in just one day there, five solid punts, average of 50 yards and four inside the 20. Yeah, I think that was a big, for me, that was the biggest takeaway from the mm -hmm. game. I mean, he was the one starter that you had a lot of question about coming in and, and he answered everything that you'd want him to answer in a positive fashion. So now uh, you're just looking forward to that week one. You know, it, it's weird now with, with the new setup, the preseason's done, but you still got a couple weeks until you start the regular season. And so I think this time is so important for each team and how teams use this is different from one franchise to another. And I think, you know, I really think how you treat this week and, and how you come out of it healthy uh, can make a big difference in who wins in week one. This week is going to be very interesting. Cut day is Tuesday. We'll get to that here in one second. Some projections uh, from George and I on who will make the roster, who should make the roster and, and who will maybe be on the practice squad. But, I do think, especially speaking of this weekend, and you know, the Colts are not obviously the only team that's making cuts. Everyone in the NFL is making cuts. One of the areas I am very interested in seeing how Chris Ballard goes about addressing is the depth on the offensive line and the defensive line. I think one of the themes of preseason is that the, really outside of the, the starting five on the offensive line and the starting four in the defensive line, maybe the, you know, five-ish guys that are rotating in you feel good about, the depth behind the trenches is very concerning. It is offensively concerning, defensively concerning. This is going to be a huge week for Chris Ballard because, like you said, if, if one player goes down, whether it's offensive line or defensive line, the Colts really don't have anyone reliable they can turn to to feel good about trying to shore up that position and try to, you know, stop the uh, stop the leaking. That's We saw it again on Saturday. It's been a consistent theme, George, though really the preseason, the lack of depth in the trenches. Yeah, especially on the interior on both of those yeah. lines. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's bad on the outside as well, but the interior is just really – Really tough. I think Dennis Kelly coming back will be a big thing. It sounds like he might be back by week one, and if not, very early in the season. Uh, that'll help a lot at the tackle depth. I think Bernard Ryman's done a really good job on that second team. He continues to improve uh, every time he's out there, so that you feel good there at tackle. But uh, you know those two guard spots at center. I mean, Will Fries is is improving, but I don't know if you feel as good about him as you did a year ago about Danny Pinner. Uh, what'll be interesting there is, you know, last year, this was the time when Ballard went out, traded a late pick and got Matt Pryor. We know how that turned out. He's a starting left tackle right now. Had a great year as kind of a utility guy a year ago. I think another move like that is would be essential for this team. 
on defense, I think it's even more dire. I mean, once you get past Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner, I don't know who you feel really strongly about in that interior. I know Taekwon Lewis can kind of reduce down into there. They can move Dio Adangbo. But, you know, last year they had Taylor Stallworth, who I think they felt really good coming in as a rush guy. He backed up both those tackle spots. He's in Kansas City now. And, you know, maybe it's RJ McIntosh, but I, I don't know that that there's a replacement for Taylor Stallworth right now on this roster. And that's another spot that I think would be really critical to look at uh, as other teams make their cuts. You're 100% right, Georgia. And speaking of cuts, right? Cut day is Tuesday. It's upcoming here. One of the biggest storylines we are going to watch because the preseason darling did it yet again. And that was Sam Ellinger. He is going to be the biggest question mark. I think really arguably you can make, say that the guy most fans are going to see the most of where he's going to be because on Saturday did so yet again. We were kind of joking like, you know, if the Colts want to put Sam Ellinger on the practice squad, he's going to have to start throwing some picks. He had a big day uh, against the Buccaneers on Saturday, a highlight uh, 45-yard touch to run. And now when you look at what Ellinger did uh, in, in the totality of the preseason so far, 24 of 29, 289 yards, four passing touchdowns, that one highlight rushing touchdown he had on Saturday night. George, has he played his way onto the 53-man roster in your opinion? Man, it's such a tough. I mean, that is the question of the offseason right now. And I, I texted you during the game and I said, I think he broke me finally. You know, he's making these plays every week and it, it's hard to to keep him down. Uh, but it's it's such a tough thing because you've got, you know, that balance right now of do you expose him and risk his development continuing with another franchise or do you keep him knowing there's no plan for him this year and probably honestly next? I mean, Nick Foles is around as long as, as Matt Ryan is from a contract standpoint. So I, it's such a tough thing. They've done it before. We've seen them keep a developmental guy kind of in one of those game day inactive spots. They did it uh, for a while last year with Mike Strawn. They did it for quite a time with, with Des Patman in, during his rookie year. Uh, so there is precedent for it. Uh, but I think, I think it's going to come down to, and I know people don't want to get into a lot of this because it gets kind of dull when you start talking roster math. Uh, but I, I, I really think a lot of it's going to come down to special teams. That Armani Watts injury, him, uh, sounds like breaking his ankle. They haven't confirmed that yet, but it's a significant ankle injury on the opening kickoff. He was a veteran. He was supposed to be that George Odom role. You lose him. It's already a young special teams group. You know, how are you going to shake that out? I don't know. Maybe Sam can be a gunner. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> He's athletic. I mean, look, he was prancing down the field on Saturday. You know he can get down the field in a hurry. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, he can run. I think I think he's fearless. I think he'd hit somebody if they gave him the opportunity. Uh, I thought he was going to hit somebody on the end of that touchdown run, honestly. <laughs> Shed some blocks. Yeah, he can put a shoulder through anyone, that's for sure. I'll be honest, George, no disrespect to Sam Ellinger. I hope he doesn't make the 53, man. I don't think the Colts can really afford to carry three quarterbacks because you, for me, the, the biggest overarching reason is the fact that this is a Colts team that should win the division, should be a playoff team. If you are a playoff team, I don't see the the point and really, frankly, wasting a roster spot on the 53-man roster for a guy that's not going to be contributing this year. And you said it too, next year, right? The Colts have mm -hmm. all offseason with Matt Ryan's coming to town. They have made it known this is not a, a one-year kind of guy. They plan it as long as Matt Ryan doesn't suddenly retire, which, is a, as we know, has been a theme for this franchise recently. And as long as he you know plays well and doesn't just collapse at the end, this is a two-year marriage. So, which means, okay, Sam Ellinger is not going to play in 2022, most likely, but you don't really want him playing. That means both, you know, uh, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are hurt or ineffective. 
That means also he's not going to probably play next year, right? Same thing. Both are on two-year contracts. So the earliest you could see Sam Ellinger playing is 2024. I don't think right now the Colts are in a position where they can keep someone for 2024 uh, while also trying to win in 2022. If they were the Texans, if they were the Jets, okay, maybe it's a different discussion. But right now for a team that's trying to compete right now, I don't see the value of keeping a, a guy on the 53-man roster that's not going to contribute in two years. And also, George, not to mention, we've talked about this, right? This offseason, uh, Ellinger's worked with Tom House. That throwing program he has been a part of is a two-year program. He has looked good. And like you said, he is amazed and his arm strength is starting to improve. But it's still a two-year process, right? So it's still early in the stages where this year is developing and then next year as well still developing. So this is a guy that, frankly, is not going to be ready to play until 2024. Personally, I would risk it. I'm not sure how many teams are even in position to carry a third quarterback or would feel comfortable having Sam be the backup. Not to pour cold water on the, the preseason Hall of Famer that he is. A lot of it has come right against third stringers, maybe some second stringers, but it's been a lot of guys that will not be in NFL rosters. I know he's played great. And like we went through the stats and that highlight run was cool. I just don't see how the Colts can justify keeping a guy that is two years away from legitimately contributing when they're trying to win right now in 2022. And I think that's a key. And when we go into what we were talking about with the special teams question marks, you know, and that being an area, they really got to make sure that they're short up. And you talk earlier about the, the depth on the lines, you know, if you're not keeping another guy at one of those spots to keep him it, to me, it's negligence, you know, at, at the end of the day. And I understand where everybody's coming from. I understand all the excitement about Sam Ellinger. It's fun. He, he's one of those guys. There aren't many of them that, that keep you watching the second half of a preseason game. That's good for the Colts. It's good for the league. Uh, it's not necessarily something that ever translates to the regular season. I feel like we've seen this with Stephen Morris. We've seen it with Chad Kelly. We saw it with PJ Walker. You know, they, they all were different players and they were all at, at different places in their careers. But it's not unusual to have a, a quarterback go out there in the second half and play really well and get everybody excited. It is unusual for that guy to ever really translate to regular season success though. And we talk about development too, George, like it sounds great. Oh, you know, we'll keep on the 53 man roster. We'll, we'll develop them this year. We'll develop them next year. But the reality is once week one comes in the season is basically, you know, preseason over. Now it's kind of like you're in season mode. It's Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan, Maybe Nick Foles, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan. Like, I don't even know when they're going to have time to really kind of sit with Sam, break down, go through his mechanics, get his arm stronger in season. This is going to be a lot of off-season work as well. So it's not even like in season, you could develop him to get him to a point where maybe in week 17 or 18, if Matt Ryan wants, you know, needs a, uh, you know, if you sit him because you clinch a division title or a playoff spot or God forbid he gets hurt late in the season, it's like you're going to be turned into Ellinger anyway. Mm -mm. No, that, that to me is a thing. There's no realistic path for him to the field. Right. And if there's not, you know, those 53-man spots are are really valuable. They're very important. So uh, why would you keep a guy who you know isn't going to play? And, and like I said, if he does, something disastrous has happened. Right, especially, too, when you have so many questions at receiver. And, look, we saw Desmond Patton now coming on strong, and, and Michael Strawn is healthy, and Kiki QT, I think, showed why he's a roster lock with his special teams ability um, as well. And now you look at the defensive line we talked about, linebacker as well, especially with Shaquille Leonard. That's another thing, too. If you're going to keep Shaquille Leonard off the pup list, which is what Frank Reich is almost praying for, and seemingly if they are able to do so, they're going to do everything possible to, to activate Shaquille Leonard. Well, that's another guy that even if he's activated, let's say by, you know, Tuesday, four o'clock Eastern George, 
realistically, is he going to play week one? Probably not. He, he might, you know, you can almost maybe rule out week two already as well. So this could be at the point where we're talking about week three or four, the earliest to where you have now another guy that won't be contributing on the 53 man roster for the first few games too. That's, you know, now you go from a 53 man roster to a 51 man roster. Again, to your, it may sound small, but with special teams concerns, with depth concerns at, at other positions, those, those two spots are super valuable that you want to have flexibility with to, you know, bring someone on that can contribute right away. Yeah. And they're going to be cutting some good players all around. I mean, yeah. there's probably a decent wide receiver, somebody people want to see here who's not going to make this roster. You know, um, there's going to be some cuts all over that that roster that are probably going to be tough decisions. You know, some of the young guys that came in, some of the undrafted guys uh, that are fighting for these spots, it's going to be tough to say you know goodbye to them as well. So it's not just Sam. You know, I think he's he's obviously going to get the the biggest attention uh, because of the position that he plays and because of the numbers that he put up. But uh, there's decisions like that all over the roster, and like you said, it it comes down to depth. It comes down to injuries. There's so many things that that affect how those decisions are made special teams right at the top of the list wide receiver. We were talking last week, basically three guys fighting for two spots projecting the Colts do carry, let's say six receivers with Michael Pittman, Jr. Um, a lock, Alec Pierce, lock Paris Campbell, lock Ashton Doolin lock, right? So the three guys was Michael Strawn, Desmond Patton and Kiki QT. Could you see a situation, George, all three on the roster? It'll be tough. You know, I, I can see it. Uh, it depends again. Do you just keep three tight ends? Do you just keep three running backs? That's another spot. Does Deion mm -hmm. Jackson and Philip Lindsay both make it? You know, it, it, there's so many. That's how that, that goes. You know, you play that chess game. You keep an extra guy here. You got to take it away from somewhere else. Maybe there's one less offensive lineman. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really tough call. Uh, all three of them have made a case. I know that. All three of them have, have stood up and, and put their hand up and, you know, said they belong. Uh, but I'm not sure that there's room to put all three of them on the roster. If Sam Ellinger, George, was the offensive darling of the preseason, fair to say Sterling Weatherford was the defensive darling of the season? Has he done enough in your mind to make the team? See, he's another one that's in that thing because him and JoJo Doman are going to be a really interesting call. JoJo was out for a preseason week mm -hmm. with an injury. You know, how does that affect this in, in their decision-making? Sterling Weatherford's a local guy, too. He's from Cicero, uh, could almost walk to training camp from where he grew up. Uh, it's it's a huge story. It's a great story. He made a bunch of plays on defense. He obviously has special teams uh, ability as well. You know, someone's got to be that new Jordan Glasgow, the linebacker yep. who's who's the special teams ace. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. It's probably between those two guys. And I think either one of them, uh, the guy that gets cut, has a real good case to be on the roster. It's going to be fascinating for sure. I it's these are one of the days where you are happy or we're not uh, Chris Ballard. Cause like I said, when you look at even some of the receivers that are talented, you think maybe one has to be, you know, uh, exposed to waivers. Um, what to do with Sam Ellinger said the linebacker is going to be a big uh, question mark, especially with the health of Shaquille Leonard. Uh, if he's able to come off pup. And even if he is again, he's, we project he will miss at least uh, the, the first few weeks just because math wise and workout wise, he just hasn't done enough to expect to be you know activated. Let's say by Tuesday and play week one after not practicing at all uh, in the off season, it's going to be a, a very uh, chaotic, let's say next 24 hours for Chris Ballard. Also too, finally, George, it's not just the guys on the roster. Which again is the only reason why I, I do hope the Colts expose Ellinger to uh, waivers and not put him on the 53 man roster because there's plenty of other teams that are going to have good players out there that are going to be cut. That really is a surprise. Oh wow, I know you know no thought this guy be available to where you do want to keep that flexibility. Whether again it's on the offensive line, defensive line, maybe it's a linebacker as well that can kind of help shore up some time if Shaquille Leonard's out. 
there's going to be a lot of good players available to where even if you cut down the 53, you could still make one or two more moves to, to bring in some better players. It's going to be a very chaotic, let's say, 24 to 48 hours. Yeah, I tell you, the guys I feel the worst for are the guys that Tuesday, 4 o'clock comes by, you're on the team, you call your mom, you call your grandma, you're celebrating, it's exciting, and Wednesday, they just got somebody else to take your job. I mean, it's, it's a cold business, it's a tough business, it happens to at least one guy every year. Uh, it, it's going to be very chaotic. I think it's tough on the coaches. You know, they have to go in there and, and tell these guys who, who have worked so hard for them uh, that, that they're not going to make the team. Uh, and it's tough on the fans because there's always a guy or two that you kind of hoped would make that roster who you were rooting for throughout this preseason who didn't make it. Uh, it's it, it, To me, this and, and, and Black Monday are, are the worst days on the NFL calendar. Absolutely, for sure. Cut day, Tuesday, 4 o'clock. This has been the bonus edition, or really the earlier-than-normal edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast, as we wanted to get this out to you guys before the cuts are made. We will be back on Wednesday, have the full current 53-man roster. So we'll get you some reactions of who made it, who didn't, um, as well as start to outlook, you know, start to project ahead of how this Colts roster stacks up with the rest of the AFC South and the rest of the AFC conference. So as always, be following George on Twitter at GM Bremer. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey, the number three. And make sure to like and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. We'll be covering anything and everything Colts each and every time a piece of news does break. We will be back on Wednesday to react to what is going to be the 53-man roster for your Indianapolis Colts.